Welcome to It's No Secret, a podcast for Kiwis who want their money questions answered. Ready, steady, go. This podcast will answer the money questions you may or may not have on your mind. We'll talk to real Kiwis and share truths about our own financial lives, both the successes and the failures. Because the truth is, there is no secret to achieving financial freedom. Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Christine. And I'm Kat. And today we're tackling the question of how much financial planning is too much financial planning? We all have different levels of financial planning we like to do. Some like to get knee deep in Excel spreadsheets and others like to avoid it like the plague. So which one are you? And is there a balance we can strike between having clarity over our finances by planning or over planning then scaring ourselves out of ever looking at a spreadsheet again? Let's discuss. I love this. I'm so excited for this topic. I'm such a finance nerd. Yeah, me too. Show me a spreadsheet and I'm away <laughs> So what does society tell us? Uh, they tell us that financial planning is hard work if you're doing it yourself. That it's, I mean, you hear the word Excel spreadsheet and kind of cringe a little bit. Yeah. But really it's not, it isn't that scary. And if you're seeking professional advice, it's expensive. And how do you know that you can trust the person? They're just going to sell you something. This is the biggest challenge, I guess, with like what society tells you about financial planning, right? Is yeah, you're just worried that you're going to get sold to, or you hear of all of pe- like people's all bad experiences. You don't often hear about people's good experiences, which is a shame. Definitely, especially as an ex-financial advisor. I right? know, I know. Although, funnily enough, and one thing I'm like really glad that we're talking about this topic is, you know, two of our recent Money Moments guests, Kale and. Bryony, they both, you know, spoke about the fact that they'd worked with different financial advisors. And that was really, really cool to hear because that was something that we didn't know about them prior to chatting. And also the fact that they, I mean, Carly was what, 22 or something? Yeah, I think it's 22 when he started working with an advisor, which is super young. That is so, so young. And Bryony, I think she was probably about 25. So that's my age. Like, that's pretty young. It is. It is. Is this now making you think whether or not you should see an advisor or are you like, no, I'm just going to go ahead with my Excel spreadsheet because I know you have an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I do actually, but only because Ollie created it and it's got pretty colors. You didn't have to build it. (laughs) Oh, fair call. Like make it pretty and I'll use it. Yeah, you have to brand it, obviously. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it's making me think about it. Definitely. I think I've never placed any importance on having one because I've always thought it was a bit of a luxury. That is so true. You hear all the time that people think they only need an advisor when they have money or like you have money to to invest but then I I always just look at that and I think well how are you ever going to get to the point of having money to invest or having enough money to warrant a financial advisor if you don't have someone helping you from the get-go to build yourself to that it's not like all of a sudden you build up all this money. I mean, sometimes that does happen if you like sell a business or something, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like all of a sudden you go from having just normal life to great financial habits and then needing help. Oftentimes people need it in the starting points, well, which is where it's really challenging. Exactly. Your habits, the way you deal with money is not going to change from having $10,000 in the bank to having 100000 because you still have the same beliefs unless you rewrite those beliefs or get help from someone, an objective person right? 100%. So uh, there is a lot of research out there that there is value in getting advice, but also people don't know how to get advice or they're not really sure, but also around, you know, having goals and what does advice really even mean or financial planning even mean? So I think one thing before I, I guess we dive into some of that research I'm interested to talk to you about is, well, what is like financial planning for you? Like what kind of financial planning do you do at home? Yeah, so I have a glorious spreadsheet, as I just said. So financial planning for me is having clarity over where all my money is 
that's probably not actually like planning. It's more money management and maybe there's a distinction to make there. Mm. As in, you mean like that's the stuff that you're doing now as opposed to necessarily like the steps that you're taking for what you want to achieve? Yeah, yeah. So I guess the difference I would say is that I have clarity over what my current money is doing and how it's working for me, but I don't have that many goals or like future forward right with an actual plan of like these are the steps I'm going to take to get to xyz yeah and like this is where I see my money being in 10 years or something like that um and then working back back from there to figure out okay well how do I get there yeah and I feel like that's probably a distinction but currently not really what I'm doing what do you think do you think that that makes sense that totally makes sense I think that that is a really good distinction to make because one of the things that I found I guess most rewarding as a financial advisor but also most beneficial as a client is it is that element of like future planning and forward thinking and helping you not only plan the bigger picture that's sometimes quite hard to do if you're doing it by yourself so I think you know I do run my own spreadsheets and love a good like balance sheet spreadsheet and a cash flow spreadsheet on the side to like, you know, (laughs) see where we're going on certain things, but then taking that very granular view and taking a step back and saying, okay, well, what do Luke and I want our life to look like in 10 years? And then really breaking that down to be actionable steps is something that's quite challenging to do for yourself. And I found really hard, even though I was doing it at the time professionally for other people. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is oftentimes people just get overwhelmed with that level of, you know, if I said to you, Christine, tell me what you want your life to look like in 15 years and to the dollar point and then figure out how you're going to get there. Like how, what would you do? I would say, how old am I? (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I'd be like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. But you know, where do you want to be living? And like, how much did that house cost? And you know, do you have children and are they being sent to school? And how much does that cost? And then like, what kind of car are you driving? Do you need to travel overseas to see your family? Like all of these sorts of things, I guess, are the types of conversations and um, planning that you can do with an advisor that's often very hard to do by yourself. Because as you say, it's easy enough to get bogged down in the details of just like your day to day money management, let alone thinking about what's happening in the future. I remember we were chatting to some kernel investors quite a while ago, and one of them had such a good quote. It is so hard to think about the future when you're so focused on the present. Especially if you're struggling, if you're in a position where you're like, I just need to get through the day to day and let alone think about. I don't have the luxury of time or money to even think about what I want to be doing in 15 years. Also, I think in a relationship, having an objective perspective to yeah. to kind of feed into okay well what are, what does your long-term view look like as an individual but also as a couple and mm. do are there steps kind of like actually you've said multiple times or explained with you and Luke you started investing in shares earlier and Luke he had some debt to pay off first right yeah, yeah. but would you have gone through that process had you not had a financial advisor probably yeah. not for us I guess having that third party was super helpful to not only get us on the same track in terms of like achieving the same goals but then actually making that happen and navigating through some of the challenges that come with that around like, okay, well, we earn different incomes. Who pays for what? Who's contributing in what um, combination? Does that matter? How do we approach buying a house together? Like all that sort of stuff really, really helped. One of the pieces of like research that I always fall back on is we did do an investor survey to all of our kernel customers last year. And the thing that really surprised me, well, maybe not so much in hindsight when you think about how I guess like unsexy financial planning is, was that, you know, people often didn't actually have a reason as to why they were investing. 
they were just investing for the future. And that's good in the sense that at least they're working towards something. But I do think there's some danger in that. And this is where for those of you who maybe cringe at the idea of like looking at a spreadsheet or talking to someone about your finances or getting into some of the nitty gritty, the danger is that if you don't have a purpose, how do you know when you can make sacrifices now to help you get towards something in the future. The instant gratification will always win if you don't know what you're working towards. And if you don't have a purpose for your money, right? Exactly. Yeah. When I think of financial planning or thinking about like, how do I plan out our finances? That is always the number one starting point because if you don't know what that goal is, heck, I'll be like, let's go to Hawaii and like, let's buy a boat. Like, yeah. you know, you Honey just do mountain. that stuff. Exactly. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need that thing in the future that's like, actually, Kat and Luke, you guys have this goal. Let's not lose sight of that. And therefore, we feel better about making sacrifices now. And I think it, it can help you reduce your worry, right? So if you have clarity 100%. or you've got some, an external person um, that's helping you, hopefully you feel a little bit more at ease, right? So true. One thing that we have talked about before on the show is that there is a lot of stats around stress and um, financial concerns and how much stress that puts on people. 57% of females between 18 and 34 feel anxious when thinking about their financial situation. It's really common that couples who talk about money are happier than those who don't openly talk about money. The number one source of women's stress was money. And this was across, um, PwC did this survey across all of their employees worldwide and I'm like that is pretty intense so you know whilst there is an element of having to feel vulnerable and open to being vulnerable when you are thinking about like financial planning whether it's by yourself or with a professional I guess the flip side of that is well if you're not vulnerable do you want to be stressed do you want to be feeling worried no you can feel a lot more in control ultimately when you know the information and you have the ability to find out that stuff yeah exactly and you actually said you lost your spreadsheets recently right your network yes. spreadsheet and oh. that was really like oh I can't check how I'm progressing yes yeah so I guess this is one of the things on the flip side and thinking about like how much financial planning is too much financial planning is one thing that often type a personalities which I'm 100% guilty of <laughs> you can overanalyze right? And you can get yourself into like analysis paralysis. And if you are doing this yourself and you have no kind of external intervention, that's really easy to do. Whereas say, if you are working with an advisor, they are like the voice of reason. I have a hundred percent been guilty of getting myself into a spreadsheet hole. Luke thinks it's hilarious because often what will happen is it'll be like a Saturday afternoon and he'll go off and do something. He's probably gone to Bunnings, let's be honest. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit at home and have a coffee and like, do some life admin. And I think that's probably the warning clue. And then I open up my spreadsheet and I get myself into this, like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, this looks good. And then I'm like, oh, this doesn't look so good. Maybe we're not on track with this thing. I'm feeling a little bit stressed about this. We should be doing better. And I get literally get myself into this little worked up panic hole. And then he invariably comes home and I am a wired bunny. How much money did you spend at Bunnings? Pretty much. I'm like, how many sausages did you buy? Like, we don't have enough money for anything. What are we going to do when we retire? And he's like, whoa, when I left the house, you were totally low key. And now you are- Too much 
coffee. <laughs> Absolutely fizzing and not in a good way. And so <laughs> that is the downside of doing too much financial planning. What about you? Because I know like Ollie has obviously created you the spreadsheet. So the spreadsheet is actually awesome. And I'm like, this is the one thing that I've actually managed to stick to because yes. one thing that I do actually really love is, I don't know, every couple months or a month or something, I'll be like to Ollie, okay, we need to go to a cafe because we all know I like coffee and sit down and have a financial date and yep. let's get out our spreadsheet and see where we're at and update it and kind of have a check-in and be like, mm. okay, so you've invested in this and that's doing well or you know, maybe you need to skim some expenses here or whatever. Yeah. But having a financial date also once a month is enough to keep it on top of it, but not to obsess over it, which I think is really important. That's because super helpful. I've definitely gone down the path of being, when I was trying to pay off debt, of obsessing over everything that I bought and then feeling guilty when you're with other people as well. If mm. you want to buy a coffee and they're like, oh, well, but you're saving. And it's like, well, I'm trying to live, live your life, life too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so do you think that you can strike a balance between being obsessive and not caring enough when it comes to financial planning? Yes, I definitely think so. I think it really comes down to your goals. It sounds so lame, like you need to have goals, but the truth of it is that you do. Like no financial advisor can really give you any good advice if they don't if you don't have any goals. And it's the one thing that no one can decide for you, right? We could tell you which investments to invest in, but we can't tell you what you should be doing with your life in 20 years. If you want to try and strike a balance, find that and have that as your guiding star because that for me going down the rabbit hole of too much detail really pulls me back out of that to be like cat why are you looking at this nitty-gritty change from like six months ago when your goal that you're working towards is 10 years away those six months whilst it's helpful sometimes to know what happened it doesn't really matter in the long-term scheme of things. And then on the flip side, if you're someone that just totally shies away from wanting to know anything at all, getting yourself, I guess, more accustomed to some kind of financial planning, thinking about your goals first is a really nice way to start. Start with your goals, do your dream life or write down a few things that you want to work towards. And then, you know, start looking at realistically your budget All financial planning needs to start then, I guess, at that point with your budget, because you need to know how much you can set aside for those goals. Hmm. That's in essence what you're trying to work out when you have a budget. So then once I think, you know, you have what you can put towards those goals and what those goals are, then it's just working out with yourself, okay, well, when can I achieve them and how am I going to kind of start to achieve them? And you can start with any baby steps, any goal, no matter how small it is. Yeah, definitely. And don't overcomplicate it, right? Yeah. Keep it simple to start and achievable and realistic because like we said before, it's easy to fall off the bandwagon. So like Put you're building any good, things. good habit, like start yes. realistic and small and then grow yep. from there. Yeah, exactly. Don't start with, you know, your longer term goal. It's like, I want to retire with a million dollars. Start with something that is, you know, short term, smaller, more achievable. It's always good to have a variation of things. One of the other spreadsheets that I was also given by my financial advisor was she would make us put in was also our goals and they would always break them down into like short term, medium term and long term because ultimately your goals are going to compete against each other. So you need to know which you want to prioritize. And so short term goals would be stuff like, Uh, we want to go on a holiday every year. And so it's important for us to have, you know, let's say like $5,000 in our budget to go overseas every year. Mm -hmm. And then that's something that we build into our budget. 
And then let's say we start looking at like medium term goals and it's like, okay, well, you guys can do that every year, but you're not going to get your medium term goal. How do you feel about taking an overseas holiday every second year? And I'm like, that's actually pretty reasonable. I feel pretty good about that. That's totally fine. And then it means we get to do our medium term goal too. That's awesome. I was like, hmm, maybe I should. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, this is, I think, you know, the power of financial planning is that you get that sense of clarity and also empowerment to make the choices that you want. And ultimately life is about compromise, but it doesn't mean that it has to be you giving up everything. You can still do stuff. It just needs to be reasonable within your means. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that there is a place for, let's say, getting a financial advisor or professional advice as well as DIYing it yourself. So doing the two Mm. in combination. Yep. I totally do. I think as you said before, often it's super helpful and we found this to get an advisor when you need to bring like two individuals together to work either on a combined goal or help them combine finances and get on the same path. So that definitely, there's a lot of financial advisors, you know, that are fee for service and may help you with one certain aspect, but then you have the option to kind of run with, I guess, what you'd call the implementation of that. So they're not necessarily going to be hands-on making sure that you do the things, but they can help you kind of map out your goals, create the plan and then say, okay, Christine, here's what your goals are. Here's roughly where you need to start. You go and do that. You can then go run with that for like a couple of years. And if you had a life change, you know, say you get a significant pay rise, you change jobs, you're planning to move countries. That's maybe the point at which you'd go back to them and be like, hey, this big thing happened. Let's maybe just, you know, need a bit of your time to readjust. Um, And then you can kind of continue on. And that's why I've seen it working really, really well. Yeah, definitely. So following on from that, and as I said earlier, one of the things that society tells us is that getting a financial advisor is quite expensive. And that can often be a driving factor as to what we look for when trying to find a financial advisor. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? How do we, A, find an advisor and B, is that myth true and that they are expensive and how much should we be paying? Expensive is all relative to the value that you get of anything, right? And that's so true of professional services. So I think people really need to reframe you know, the type of financial advice we're talking about here is a professional service. It's not someone that is working in financial services that is selling you a product or just putting you into a KiwiSaver recommendation. That's kind of different. What we're talking about here is someone that will sit down and run through your goals, do some planning, help you with budgeting, look at all facets of your financial life and make sure that, you know, you've got a plan in place and are working towards that and then has the ability to like check back in with you to make sure that you're actually getting where you want to go. So with that, it's somewhat comparable to say if you used a lawyer or an accountant or you're going to a therapist, you pay them ultimately for their time. And traditionally, financial advisors have charged for their services as a percentage of an investment portfolio. And I think this is where the whole idea of you only have a financial advisor if you have a lot of money comes from because they would be looking for, say, someone that has $500,000 that they could charge a percent on like every year to manage that portfolio. One thing that has changed rapidly in Australia and is very slowly starting to trickle through to New Zealand is the whole idea of like a fee for service advisor. So someone that you are basically saying, I want this service from you. I want this initial upfront plan and you to do this work. And for that, I'm willing to pay this fee. It's a fixed amount. We agree on it in advance. You know what it is and we all feel comfortable with it. So there are definitely advisors out there and 
just, I guess, my personal view is that that is always my preferred way to pay for a service, particularly because I'm like, if you think about other professionals, that's how you'd pay for them. You know how much your lawyer's hourly rate is or how much they would quote for a certain like body of work and you'd happily pay them that if you you saw the value. Yeah, definitely. If you're, say, looking at a fee-for-service advisor, the fee range can vary, like, hugely because, as you're probably aware, like, it could really depend on your personal circumstances and how much detail that advisor needs to, like, dig into, right, to give you advice on everything. So if you are a relatively, you know, straightforward individual in the sense that you're an employee and it's just you and you're wanting to look at advice around your KiwiSaver or your super and you're, like, starting investments and your goals – you know, that will be a lot less than say someone that is a business owner, maybe has a trust, has a couple of properties, has children to think about, wants to like talk through intergenerational wealth planning, like all those sorts of things are very different. I probably don't have the best price reference points or like cost reference points for New Zealand, but as an example in Australia, and I would say this is roughly on par for an upfront like piece of advice or engagement with an advisor, you might be looking at say a starting point of $2,000 and anywhere up to like $10,000. And I know a lot of young people listening to this would be like, oh my God, both of those are big numbers. Is that per year? Or I uh, know that might just be for the upfront work. When Luke and I started paying for a financial advisor, I really struggled with this initially because I was like, Kat, you are qualified and smart enough to do this for yourself. Why are you paying someone else to do that? And then at the same time, one of our friends also started using the same financial advisor and he worked in a totally different industry. So he wasn't at all qualified to to really do his own advice, but he asked her the question of like, oh God, I feel like the fee is quite expensive. And she turned around and said to him, well, we've just spent all this time running through your budget. And in the next 12 months, you're going to spend more on going to the gym and getting massages and looking after yourself than you are on looking after your financial future. And I just want you to reflect on that because that's a choice that you're actively making, whether you know it or not. And ultimately your money and stress and all the things that go with that are as important as your health for a lot of people in how it impacts your life. And I thought that was just such a good comparison. And after that, I'm like, of course, I should be paying for something that's ultimately going to make me more money in the future and make sure that, you know, we feel secure and have all this level of sanity. That is such a mic drop moment. How can you argue with that logic? So, yeah, yeah for me, that um, that was really a good starting point. And then I guess, you know, if you're listening to this podcast thinking, okay, I do want to maybe reach out and start working with a financial advisor. One thing I would say is find yourself a shortlist and then definitely like interview them. It's kind of similar mm-hmm. to if you did want to find like a new doctor or a therapist, like you having someone with the skills is important, but also having someone with, I guess, the right personality fit and who understands you and you can really see yourself working with, you have to bear your financial soul to them. That is super vulnerable and can be quite uncomfortable for some people. So that personality fit is really important. And most advisors will have either a complimentary meeting or a phone call for you to sound them out. That's what I was going to say is I remember um, Darcy from the NZ Everyday Investor. He said, if you're financial advisor or potential is not willing to give you kind of a free consultation at the start, then maybe that's not the person for you. It's definitely a area where you shouldn't just be driven by fees or you shouldn't necessarily be driven by recommendations. The type of person that I like working with will be different to the type of person you like working with potentially. So it's always good to have a short list of a couple of different people, chat to each of them, see who you kind of gel with and then go from there. 
And I guess the, you know, the last thing I'd say on that is you can work with an advisor once off and get an immense amount of value, even if it's just sense checking what you're doing and getting some confidence that you're on the right track and then not need that relationship ongoing. Or you could get an immense amount of value from really having that level of accountability in the exact way that we do with like personal training. Fitness and money, so many comparables. That's so good. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at It's No Secret NZ, where we continue the conversation about all things money, investing, and finance. If you're keen to get your hands on a great financial planning spreadsheet, a list of advisors, or to find out more about Pocketsmith, head to our website www.itsnosecret.co.nz forward slash 11. See you on the next episode.